0: We can become so caught up in the process of sanctification that we can it's the, as strange as it sounds, we can completely forget about Christ and we just become sin fighters rather than Christ lovers. <music>
1: Welcome to the Help and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chappell, and I'm thankful you're here to join in on today's conversation with Rush Witt. In today's episode, Rush and I talk about his book, Die Hard Sins, How to Fight Wisely Against Destructive Daily Habits, to learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ offers hope and help for lasting heart change. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting christinemchapel.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest, Rush Witt is lead pastor of Paramount Church in Bexley, Ohio. He is a certified biblical counselor with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, and he and his wife, Catherine, have five children. Rush, welcome to the show today.
0: Thank you, Christine. I'm really happy to be with you today.
1: Well, let's go ahead and dive right in because today's topic is just, I think, so important to me. And I know it's important to you because obviously you wrote a book Mm. about it. (laughs) But um, before we talk about confronting diehard sins and destructive habits, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your story. I really appreciated that you opened the book with a small sampling of your own personal experience with walking alongside your wife as she battled to recover from what seemed to be a very significant period of deep you know even dangerous darkness mm-hmm. would would you take a few minutes and tell us a bit about that time and what the process and journey of recovery has looked like for you both
0: Absolutely our introduction to biblical counseling which is a really important part of our lives and our church and even our our day-to-day living as Christians really came in 2002 so that was about 17 years ago, time really flies by. But uh, my wife grew up in a fantastic Christian family. She became a Christian when she was 11. And then in late middle school, early high school, she really began to struggle with depression and anxiety, started having lots of panic attacks and other kinds of counseling issues. And so as a result of that, she began um, with her family seeking out a variety of different kinds of help. In terms of counseling and uh, and other help that was available, and just continued to struggle for a long time. In fact, she was uh, spent a time in uh, a psychiatric hospital in Topeka, Kansas, and just continued to struggle through throughout high school, and then and then into college. And uh, in college, we met, and uh, soon after that, we're married. And then even after we were married, uh, some of those struggles just continued to be really serious. So we eventually went off to seminary at Southeastern in North Carolina. And at that time, it was the only seminary within our denomination that was teaching biblical counseling. Now, I I got to seminary. I didn't know anything about anything, really. I was pretty green as somebody interested in pastoral ministry, but didn't know anything. And so we got there. We started taking the classes that were laid out for us. We started taking classes together together. The first class that we took was pastoral care and counseling. And in that class, we began to learn the basics of biblical counseling and hearing things we had never heard before. Uh, we had never heard about a more biblical approach to counseling issues. Of course, we were very familiar, and I had become very familiar later on in my wife's story with uh, the secular secular treatments and resources that are available but i didn't know anything we didn't know anything about the biblical resources so we started hearing things about the sufficiency of christ and the power of the gospel and the sufficiency of god's word to help us and to care for our souls to care for these counseling issues that really both of us at that point were were facing uh, in some pretty serious ways. And so as a result of that, we went to the professor of the class and said, we have never heard this before. We really need your help. And he was just super faithful to us. Uh, he took us in. He started walking with us and counseling us every week for a, what is a really abnormal period of time for biblical counseling. Really for any counseling. It was in total, probably about a year and a half every Friday for a couple hours at a time. Of course, biblical counseling tends to be a ministry that's provided uh, free of charge. So that was a real blessing to us as, as really young seminary students. But it was through that time that the word of God came alive for us and it was being ministered to our hearts and we were changing and growing. It wasn't easy and it wasn't fast. But we were changing and growing, and uh, we just, through that time, became convinced, personally convinced, not just as the result of taking a class, but personally convinced of the value of biblical counseling, the need for it in our lives and in, in more local churches. So. So we were all in on biblical counseling, and that really set a trajectory for our lives. As I continued in school, we started having some children, and uh, that kept my wife from taking classes. Her name is Catherine, by the way. And uh, I just kept, kept wanting to learn about biblical counseling, and that's that's brought me all the way up until today. And that has a lot to do with uh, what this book is about, Diehard Sins. Uh, so that's kind of our background, how A little bit of our personal story of how we came to be so interested in biblical counseling, how it could help people in these important uh, daily struggles that we all face.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Uh, you know, how did those particular trials that your wife Catherine was experiencing, how did those trials affect you as a husband? In in what ways did God work in your own heart as he called you to partner with your wife through such a tumultuous recovery period?
0: That's really a great question. That was for me as a young husband, that was a real crash course. Uh, I had not really before that, had a lot of experience, such suffering or serious counseling issues. I mean, we all have. We all have our struggles. These are something new to me. And, uh, and I can't plead anything other than the grace of God, which worked in what I think, really, as I look back, are some mysterious ways. I certainly was not up to the task of what we ended up facing together. I was not well-prepared I didn't know what – in many ways, I didn't know what I was doing as a husband, but God was faithful to us. He, he gave us uh, some really good people in our lives through our local church and, of course, through, as I mentioned, those who were helping us in counseling and and, uh, and also counselors in our local church. Uh, he really gave us a number of people to help overcome, especially for me, my deficiencies. And, uh, and so through that, I, I just – I really learned a lot. About, uh, I learned a lot about marriage. I learned a lot about life, through those struggles from the people who were around us. And at the same time, I was going through a lot of changes as I am growing as a Christian. You know, seminary of course is a great place to study the Bible and to grow. So I was growing. My theology was deepening, and and I was just, you know, that like like all of us at that age, I was just kind of growing up. So as a result of that, a lot of things changed for me. Not only was my mind uh, being renewed by the counseling that we were receiving, my worldview was changing. I was better understanding the struggles that all of us face. I was I was becoming a better student of myself. So even through that, I started realizing there were a number of ways that I needed to change. And the biblical counsel that we were receiving was the very counsel that i needed to hear
1: wow that's incredible and that is a testimony to the importance of if you are in a marriage relationship how Mm -hmm. how much of a blessing that joint counseling can be or if one party that is receiving you know an intensive biblical counseling Mm -hmm. arrangement but the spouse entering into that not only to support the person but also because supporting someone who's struggling is an tremendous challenge, and I know this firsthand. My husband could tell you how challenging it has been, the journey we've been on, and so I'm, I'm really thankful that the Lord supported you both in that way that you were just describing. You know, I often get asked by readers whether their mental health problem is the result of sin, or if it's the result of some physical issue going on, and I typically respond with what Ed Welch has said, in that there may be or may not be a physical component to contend with, but that there is always a spiritual component that should Mm. be addressed biblically. And that's really what the biblical counselor's job is.
0: Yeah, you know, it really sounds like the way that you have approached that with those that have asked you, You've really approached that in a wise way. I've learned an immense amount from Ed Welch and have high respect for him and uh, continue to learn from him. I think that something that you said in your question there is also particularly helpful, is that the question that most people are asking is, Is my problem the result of sin or a physical issue that's going on? And what I would point out about that is I I think that that way of thinking about uh, counseling problems or personal issues in our lives is the way that the Bible tends to talk about them. I see most clearly the Bible teaching that we are to understand ourselves as two parts, body and soul. Uh, that's both what I think comes through in the scriptures, and I think that's also what what we uh, conclude when we when we take some time to look at at the struggles that we have. So there we have these two parts, and I appreciate what you mentioned about what Ed Welch has taught on this, and I really agree with it. When we think about these problems, and we think about what God has said to us in His Word, of course, as a biblical counselor, uh, I don't know anything else other than what God's Word tells me. Of course, there are other great resources that other thinkers have provided, but ultimately, I see that the Word of God is where God has revealed to us the truth uh, for our lives. And when we look at the Word of God, we find that His primary focus is not upon our bodies, though that is important and the Bible does talk about that, but that his primary focus is upon our souls, that other part of who we are. And so I think it is definitely true that while we may or may not have a physical struggle going on that's connected to whatever daily habit or struggle we're facing, that we know there is always, with or without the physical part, there's always a spiritual part. There's always a need for the Word of God Even if we are sick with some routine kind of illness and we know that we need to go see the doctor, even then, God is at work through that. He is at work through our circumstances and the things that have happened to us and whatever we're going through to sanctify us, to do a spiritual work in our lives. So that is a difficult question to nail down because we are limited. Our knowledge of the body and physical components to our struggles is just is just very limited. But what we do know is that God has given us a sufficient word to shepherd us, give us wisdom uh, so that we can continue to walk with him as we try to understand what, what's going on here in my life. I keep struggling in this way, keep feeling this way. Uh, we want to know what God says to us.
1: I think you do a really great job in your book talking about some of these common sin or destructive habit struggles that you have counseled what is at the heart of those things
0: well in in the book die hard sins what i have tried to do is take some of those common daily struggles that many people and particularly many christians continue to face and they are the kinds of struggles that just don't seem to go away very easily or very quickly and i think that many christians like me have had the feeling that i've been a christian for 10 20 30 40 years And I'm still struggling with this. I I have seen biblical counselors or pastors. I've memorized verses I've read the books. I've heard the sermons. I don't know why I am still struggling in this. And so in this book, I aim to give some help and some hope to those who are feeling that way. And a big part of the help that I try to give is clear understanding of what is at the root of these habits, these struggles that we continue to have. We do know that, that there are lots of different things that influence us. We all have general kind of hardships in life. We all know what it's like for other people to sin against us, to, to do us wrong. Many of us face some kind of body problem, whether it's an illness or something else, or we have some kind of false teaching, whether that's somebody giving us false counsel or, or even maybe false modeling We're growing up. And of course, we also know that we have an enemy, the devil, who is our accuser and our tempter, and he'll use whatever freedom God gives him to to cause us trouble. We know from God's word that all of those things serve as merely an occasion by which what's in our hearts can come out. So it's simply an occasion. None of those circumstances or influences make us do the things that we do, whether that is bearing good fruit or bearing bad fruit, but it gives an occasion for what's in our hearts to come out. And so my ultimate focus in the book is to help us better understand our hearts. And when I see the heart, I think of really two main qualities, and those are beliefs and desires. As we look at the Bible and we ask the question, what is the heart? We find that it really is, if we were to sum it up, boil it down, it's really those two things. It is ungodly beliefs and ruling desires that are often at the root of these struggles that we have. So if we want to see change, it will not be enough to change our circumstances. It won't be enough to cut someone or something out of my life, though. Those kinds of changes may be needed. It won't be enough to simply address some physiological problem, we ultimately need heart change. And, we, and it needs to be change on those two levels of beliefs and desires. I think that's really where the heart of, of these issues is. That's That's what I have seen as I have looked to God's word. And that's what I have seen as I have looked into my own life and have walked with other people through a number of these different issues.
1: You know, I love that Elise Fitzpatrick once wrote that our sin is only bad news if we don't have a savior. That is such a good reminder, especially when we're dealing mm-hmm. with these, these destructive habits. How can the gospel offer someone real tangible hope for change with their deeply ingrained destructive habits?
0: Mm, that is a huge, huge question. I fear that's probably a question that we will continue answering long into eternity. I have been really blessed by the ministry of authors and others uh, like Elise Fitzpatrick who have focused so carefully on the gospel and have helped me to come to a richer, deeper understanding of what the gospel is. There was a time in my life when I thought that the gospel was simply a message written down in a tract. It is what Non-Christians need to hear so that they can become Christians, and then after that, we all move on to some bigger, better plan. But the more that I have walked with Christ and listened to people far wiser than I am, I have found it to be true that, in fact, the gospel is that ongoing plan. So this question really resonates with me. I don't believe that any of us, quote-unquote, get the gospel I don't think that any of us will corner it somewhere and master it, but it's something we will continue to wrestle with. And I'm thankful for that, because as your question suggests, I really do think that the gospel is at the heart of our hope and help for change of these kinds of troubles that we all face, even deeply ingrained destructive habits. We could talk for hours and hours about it. I think a couple of things that come to mind first for me is number one, that the gospel is in fact good news. Mm -hmm. When we look at the Bible, I think it's clear that the Bible has two main messages. There's the message of the law and the law of God, which is God's uh, good requirements and expectations, the revelation of his character, who he is. The law comes to us and it says, do this and you can live. If you will keep the commands, if you will be like God, then you will live. Of course, for people like me, who don't keep those commands, who have struggled in thousands and thousands of ways. That's bad news because it doesn't offer me any hope of life. In fact, it just delivers this death blow to me. But that's not all that the Bible has. We know the gospel answers that voice of the law. And rather than saying, do this and live, the gospel comes to people who are hurting, who realize that they have not done this. They have not measured up. They have not been able to get with the program. They have continued to struggle in sin and the gospel comes to us and simply says done or live. And now you can do this. And so the gospel, I think first and foremost is important to this because it gives us life. It is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. It's not the good news that what of what we could do for ourselves, It's not the good news of how we could help ourselves. It's actually the good news of what someone else has done for us on our behalf and gives it to us by grace alone, through faith in him alone. And the second thing that I would say about that, I think if I tried to to really boil it down, is ultimately that the gospel is a promise. It is a practical, daily promise that God knows where I am. He is in perfect, sovereign, wise control. He is good. He loves me. And he has given me everything for life and godliness in his word. And that as I continue to seek the truth in his word, as I continue to apply what he has told me in the Bible, he is working his grace all along to cause those seeds to bear fruit in us. This is really an important thing to me in every area of my life is I, I want the gospel to continue to be paramount in, in all things. And, and I hope that this book, Die Hard Sins, uh, will help others continue to pursue that same thing.
1: Well, I would say that it definitely provides no shortage of equipping material. I love this book, Die Hard Sins, because you have just packed it full of applications, of recommended reading, of strategies, and not in a way that is trying to offer someone a Mm self-help formula, because Mm -hmm. the world is full of self-help formulas that, that that promise a lot of results. And end Mm. up letting us down in the long run. And that's not what I'm talking about here. But you are constantly relying on God's word and the scriptures to help people to experience really what's called that progressive sanctification, that lifelong walk with Christ and that lifelong pursuit of fruit of the spirit. What I really appreciate in your book is that you introduce a three part plan for fighting sinful habits. And I thought it was really helpful. So would you take a few moments to introduce that method for us today?
0: Sure. So this method that I use in Die Hard Sins is actually uh, my effort to borrow what has become my three-part plan in discipleship and counseling. Now, I learned this three-part plan from one of my strongest mentors and teachers, a man named Robert Jones. And the three-part plan is uh, very simple. It's easy to remember. I I like that about it because it also is useful to, to any Christian who wants to help others with their problems and to walk with them, disciple them. And it's simply this. When I have an opportunity to walk with someone through anything, I think, how can I enter this person's world? I want to get close to them. I want to build a level of trust with them. I want them to know that I love and care for them. And then after I enter their world, or as I do that, I then am thinking, God, help me to understand this person's need. So that's the second part. First, enter, understand. I want to understand their need according to the Bible to really, really hear them and really hear what's going on in their lives and their hearts. And then I want to, with God's help, to third, bring them Christ and his answers, because that's what I think every person is ultimately in need of. So that's a simple three-part plan for, for personal ministry to other people that anyone who's listening can begin using, uh, whether it's with your kids or your spouse or someone else at church or anyone else. Enter, understand, bring. Well, that has been so helpful to me in ministry and in my own personal life that I wanted to uh, leverage it for this fight against these daily habits. Now, I wrote this book, Die Hard Sins, because it was a book that I needed. As far as I'm concerned, I'm the first person in my life that I ever heard say, why am I still doing this? Why am I still struggling like this? So I needed a book like this. And so I wanted to take that three-part plan. And as opposed to just pointing it out at the other people I was trying to walk with, answer the question, how can I turn it around and point it at me? So then that three-part plan takes on a slightly different flavor. It then becomes this. It is an encouragement to ourselves that we can, with God's help, Enter with joy into this ongoing struggle with sin. I think that's very important. As we keep having the, these relentless waves of trouble with ourselves, it can become exhausting, and it can become burdensome. This, As the law that's written on our hearts keeps saying, oh, you did it again. Oh, you did it again. You're not changing. We need the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christ to bring us joy. And we can, therefore, because of him, enter in with joy into this fight. We know who he is. He knows where we are. He loves us. He's working. And so number one, enter. And then number two, to understand in a similar way is how we want to understand and help the people around us. God gives us wisdom to help us understand even ourselves. So we want to understand what's going on in our own hearts. And again, that's where the book will talk a lot about how do we make sense of the beliefs and desires that are at the root of these ongoing struggles. And then third, we want to bring Christ and his answers to bear upon our own hearts. This is somewhat of a self-counseling book, something that I think every Christian needs to grow at doing. I know that I still have a long way to go. So that's the three-part plan that really is the organization of the entire book walks through those, uh, those three parts, enter, understand, bring. And like you said, I really have tried to pack this book full of practical resources as a biblical counselor if i have learned anything it is that encouragement is not enough we've got to have practical help some practical instruction plan that we can begin to put in practice with god's help so that we can change. And so in the appendices in particular, there are a number of helps. There's one appendix that takes every single chapter and lays out a number of different steps that any person reading the book can begin taking to practice the truths that have been taught and expressed in the book. And then there are a number of other helpful tools that are easy to remember. They're easy to practice. Uh, when we're facing temptation, or we are needing to remember the truth of God's word and minister the truth even to our own souls. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I really did want this book to be full of practical help.
1: Well, Rush, there's a chapter in your book where you talk about the power of beliefs and desires, as you mentioned earlier, and in it, you warn the readers about the trap of introspection. Here's what you write. Our eyes become transfixed on ourselves and our goals for change become self-centered. Rather than setting our eyes on Christ and trusting him to change us, we turn inward and become self-preoccupied. When this happens, our objective shifts from pleasing God to fixing ourselves. And I've got to tell you, I have written a number of times about this topic on my blog. I know how dangerous it can be Mm. when our recovery really becomes an idol for us. It has happened to me um, and I'm sure others as well. Can you describe some of the dangers of this kind of mindset and how someone can keep from falling into that type of temptation?
0: absolutely this is really another great question you've asked so many good questions in this time that we've had this is one that i think is really important especially for us as christians because it is so easy because we have such a sincere and often zealous desire for godliness as we should that when we see these these continual struggles and as i call them in the book destructive daily habits that just keep being resilient against um everything that we try to do to stop them or to break them or to change them, we can become so caught up in the process of sanctification or fighting against these sins that we can, it's the, as strange as it sounds, we can completely forget about Christ and we just become sin fighters rather than Christ-lovers. Those two things go hand in hand, but it is so easy to lose sight of Jesus when we want to change so badly. In fact, this is another thing that sounds strange even when I say it. It sounds, it sounds strange to me, but it's true, is that we can even make an idol out of spiritual growth. It can become so important to us that we are willing to do anything, even take our eyes off of Jesus – even look somewhere else for change rather than the resources that he's given to us in his word. And we can just become captivated by how much progress that we're making. So rather than being what I would call morbidly introspective, I think it is more biblical and more helpful to us to, with God's help, aim for a healthy self-awareness, meaning That as we keep our eyes on Christ and we continue to listen to his word, we want to become self aware, not introspective. We're not constantly looking in at ourselves, evaluating how's it going? How am I doing? Am I better? Am I more obedient? Am I more pleasing to God? And constantly like that, as much as we want to know what's going on in our own hearts, beliefs, and desires that need to change, while still keeping our ultimate objective pleasing and glorifying God and enjoying him by faith in Jesus. I think that's a really important thing for us as we as we wrestle. Anybody who picks up this book is, at least in some way, the kind of person who cares about sin and wants to fight against it. And so this is a, an important caution to, to all of us who would pick that book up so that we don't become caught in that self-introspection or that that morbid introspection of, of what's going on inside of us, rather than keeping our eyes on Christ and looking to Him for help.
1: How important is God's Word and the Holy Spirit for the process of progressive heart change?
0: Oh, immensely, immensely important. I mean, one of the main lessons I feel like God has been teaching me throughout my Christian life yeah, I didn't become a Christian till I was 18, and even then, boy, I was slow, slow to grow as I am today. The lesson that he just continues to to bring back to me again and again is that he is my hope, and there's hope nowhere else. There all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. They are not deposited, and that's an important word because that's how we get them, right? We we know the truth, not because we found it, but because God revealed it to us, and he revealed it to us in his word and in his son. So this is a lesson that keeps coming back to me because my heart is so prone to wonder and let me go find the next self-help book that's gonna give me the secret to overcoming something, or let me go find this quick success guide, or, or is there some, some speaker out there who has tapped into the unknown riches of the universe and he's gonna help me? I have to be called back over and over again to exactly what you have just said. The Word of God is the deposit of God's revealed truth to us. And the Holy Spirit is the person third person of the Trinity who is working to minister that word to us. He's the one who is continuing to keep us and to sow his word into our hearts and to lead us on in this process of change in the truth. So I, boy, I just couldn't say enough. That's another one of those great questions. I think we could just keep going, going, going for, for hours and hours, and we would never get close to exhausting the importance of recognizing that.
1: Well, we're just about done with our time here today, but I wanna give you the opportunity to speak directly to the audience in these closing moments. There may be someone listening to this episode who currently suffers in the ways that we have been talking about. Maybe they believe that their faith in Christ isn't powerful enough to offer tangible heart change, or maybe they think they're destined to struggle against sin unsuccessfully, despite God's promises of transformation. What would you say to that person to give them the courage to take their next steps forward?
0: Well, the first thing, as you, as you say that, and I'm listening to you, the first thing that comes to mind for me is we are not alone. That no matter what you are facing, no matter what destructive daily habit or other counseling concern, you are simply not alone. 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us that no trial or temptation has overtaken us except as is common demand. That has been an enormous comfort to me because it tells me that I am not a unique case. I am not the only person going through what I'm going through, that these things are common. If you boil them down and get to their essence, they are common. Therefore, we are in this together. We are all going through very similar things. And that should be encouraging to us because it means that that other people do understand. I think we often feel that way. No one understands what I'm going through. No one can help me. That is simply not true. And then second, I would encourage us in those moments when we feel that way to admit the difficult truth that our faith is not enough. My faith is not powerful enough to overcome these things. It is only the power of Christ working in me as I walk with him with what little faith I have. And if I'm being honest, that's the way I often feel. My faith is so small, and yet that's what he's promised. He's promised that it's small faith that he will use, even then, and and when he does, he's the one who will, who will be glorified. He's the one who will be praised. And we will simply be enjoying what he has done for us, and giving him the honor that he deserves for all of these changes. I know that there are a lot of people that's why I was interested in this topic in writing a book. There are a lot of people who feel exactly the way you just described, and I hope that they will consider reading this book because I know the way that it is continuing to help me even today. And I hope that that will that'll be reproduced in lots of other people's hearts, big ways and small ways. And so that's that's really my prayer for this book, that it will continue to to get into the hands of people who need help. They need encouragement. They need a practical plan to keep fighting forward and even to find some biblical contentment in this ongoing struggle with remaining sin. And that through that God would just bless them and help them and strengthen them.
1: Rush, would you tell the audience the best way they can stay connected with you and your writing ministry?
0: I always welcome people who have uh, read the book and uh, and, want to get in touch. They can do that through my church website, which is paramountcolumbus.com, or if they want to learn more about the book, there's also a website, which is diehardsins.com, which I hope will give some, some extra uh, information and encouragement for those who are considering it.
1: And I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes as well to make it easy for the audience listening today. Well, Rush, I really just want to thank you so much for your wisdom. Man, I feel just so encouraged to go and even reread some of the chapters I've already read in Die Hard Sins and apply some of my own personal struggles to the wisdom that you've provided in that book. So thank you so much for being on today.
0: Oh, that's very kind, Christine. Thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me.
1: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit christinemchapel.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help, For life's challenging problems, visit christinemchapel.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on The Hope and Help Project.